Welcome to the Dear Rochester Retire Well Podcast with David Pulsini from Six Point Financial Partners. In this podcast, find your path towards a brighter financial future with David as your guide as he helps individuals, educators, and healthcare professionals explore ways they can build wealth while minimizing risk using a multifaceted, comprehensive approach to personal finance. Are you ready to take the first step towards a brighter financial tomorrow? Let's get started. Your financial advisor is a nice person, but there are some questions you should not be shy about asking, especially if, dear Rochester, you want to retire well. Our podcast host, David Polsini, is with Six Point Financial, and he knows about those questions. I'm Patrice Sikora, and I want to know about those questions. I want to know what they are and where to start. David, first of all, though, are these really meant to grill a potential advisor? And should anyone be reluctant to answer them? I think the answer is yes and no. The uh, I don't think anybody that is going to work with a financial advisor should be reluctant or afraid to ask any questions. And that's actually why we put this list together is many people, as you know, they don't know where to start. So we want to just get, this is just a starting point. It won't grill too many advisors, but as you'll see, as we work through it, I think that they should have a good answer for each of them and and they will. All right. Well then how, let's start out with how long have you been a financial professional? Yeah. So I want to take it from the standpoint of not me answering the question, but the point of view of why it's an important question to ask. So I think that how long have you been a financial advisor or professional is important because for, for two reasons, the first is getting a better understanding of that advisor's experience in financial planning. You may be thinking this only applies to recent college graduates because you think of younger financial advisors, but it doesn't. I've been around for 18 years and I've seen many people start in our profession that were in a totally different industry for 20 years. Hmm. So even though they're 45 or 50 years old, they might be a brand new financial advisor and you don't know that. So, and as with any career, there's a learning curve and advisors typically get better at what they do as they gain experience. So you would want to make sure that your advisor that you were working with, or at least interviewing has dealt with similar concerns and issues that you have. And I'll make a quick healthcare analogy because many of our listeners work in that space, but everyone will understand it. If you had to have an operation of some sort, Patrice, would you rather have the doctor that has performed three surgeries or the one that has done 3000 of that surgery? And I like the one that's covered by my insurance, but the three yeah. is preferable. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a separate part of financial planning, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> but I mean, typically you want the doctor that's done 3000. I mean, there's always exceptions, but you, you get the point. And mm-hmm. the second part of that question is you want to make sure that your advisor is around for you. And the truth is the turnover in our business is tremendously high in the first five to seven years. Most advisors don't make it that long. And if you're going to be in a relationship doing financial planning for the long term. You just want to make sure that your advisor is going to be there for you. That brings up a big question. I'm actually going to jump to another question that was later on on the list. But yep. if people only last five to seven years, what happens to, to my account if I've opened it with you and you decide to, well, I'm going to go become a, you know, I'm going to join the circus. What what happens to my account? That's a great question. And that's why it's on the list, further down the list, like you said, but in many instances, um, the truth is if, if you're working with a new advisor and they leave, really one of two things will happen. One, it will go to like a centralized customer service unit that doesn't know you, or it will go on to maybe that advisor's manager or a partner they were working with. 
And that, that's not really what you want to plan for right. um, or work with. So, and by the way, that question, since we're skipping to it, the reason I want to ask what happens to my accounts if something happens to you is, is more of, we want to make sure that if you are working with an advisor, they have a plan in place, should something happen to them prematurely. And by the way, many advisors don't, and you'd be shocked. Uh, you should ask specifically who would be working with you should your advisor pass away or become disabled. And that is a very fair question mm -hmm. to ask. Um, and they should have a plan in place. And when I say succession plan, what I mean is, and that actually goes back to question number two, how long are you going to be in the business? Um, what is your plan if, if and when you retire? So the reason I like question number two is because many advisors that I know that are great and they do have the experience that I was talking about are entering their final years in the business. And at some point they themselves want to retire. And I would want to know if I enter into a planning relationship with them, what is going to happen when they retire? So they should be able to clearly explain to you who you would be meeting with ahead of time, should they decide to retire and they should have a written succession plan in place. So it's funny, I posted the two first questions, how long have you been in the business and how long are you going to be in the business on LinkedIn a few months ago? And the first question, how long have you been in the business? All the experienced advisors were commenting and they loved it. And then I put the second question on there, how long are you going to be around? And I never heard from them again, or they called me a jerk. <laughs> so that's when you know it's a fair question is when uh, they, uh, they're good and they may not be able to answer it. <laughs> Which also brings up another question. How long does it tr take to train someone to step in for you? That's a great question. I, so we have advisors, so I, I'm 40 years old, so I have a long way to go. So if I had to answer the first two questions, I have 18 years of experience in, and I, I just turned 40, so I'm going to be around for a long time. Mm -hmm. But we already have people working with us already that are 35, 30, and 25 years old, they can come right in and take over. So they're already part of our business. If I were starting from scratch and I were a 65-year-old advisor that said, you know what, I want to retire three years from now, to answer your question, they should get somebody in as soon as possible. It takes a, in, again, in any business, it takes a really long time to know the ins and the outs. And if I were a very experienced advisor that was going to turn my business over to somebody, I couldn't get them training soon enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I hope that answers that question. <laughs> it did, believe me. Now, as you've been in the business for a while, do you increase the number of certifications or credentials? Or when you go in to talk to somebody, you should ask, I would expect, what licenses do you have? But do you increase them as well as you go along? Definitely. Uh, this, this is an important question to ask because you will want to, if you're a potential client looking for an advisor, you want to work with somebody that has an ability to offer any solution for you. So this is basic. I don't want to say it this way, but almost lower level stuff. If you, and then I'll get to the higher level. Mm -hmm. Some advisors quote advisors may only have an insurance license. So they may not be able to offer investment accounts, for example, and, or an advisor might have a series six and they may not be able to do everything that a series seven advisor could do. Or some advisors don't have licenses at all and can work with you differently. So the point is you want to ask and figure out what that advisor can do for you. And the main purpose of that question is to make sure that your advisor is able to do whatever you need. And again, that's lower level stuff. And more importantly, you definitely want an advisor that has advanced credentials. And you've heard of the CFP many times and many people have, it's become the gold standard and it's 
the most recognized of the designations in our industry. And for good reason, you, you get a lot out of it. And it really points out two things. One, the advisor's commitment to our business. And two, the CFP itself requires an advanced level of ethics when doing financial planning for somebody. If somebody has the CFP and then tries to do, quote, bad things, they're really not able to get away with it because it has an advanced level of, again, ethic, ethical planning. Okay. And one last thing, there, there are dozens of certifications and you see this if, if you go on Facebook or LinkedIn or you look up advisors and there's letters all over the place. Yeah. And everybody sees that, but I would just go on and just before you meet with the advisor, just look up or search what that means. Um, so I have the RICP. Most people don't know what that is and a CFP, but the RICP is Retirement Income Certified Professional. So if somebody's looking for retirement income planning using social security, which accounts do I take from and all those things, that's what that designation covers. And anybody looking for an advisor, if they just search that would be able to see what all these letters mean. So not understanding all the letters necessarily, but going in to speak to someone and knowing, well, I want you here to help me plan for retirement. I want you here to plan for college. Would the advisor then, should the advisor then say, well, that's not my specialty or that is my specialty? No doubt about it. Absolutely. And I'll just tell you how, how we work is if, if I were to meet with somebody in a first meeting and there is a better advisor, and by the way, either on my team or, or down the street, mm -hmm. it is pretty much my job to say, hey, this person works specifically with what you're looking for. They are the best that I know in town. You should go see them. And I would send them along with the, and, and I mean, we've done it before. And it's very, very specific things that you run into infrequently, but um, maybe certain stock plans that somebody knows about. And any advisor should just send an email with that client copied on saying, I'd like to introduce you to this person. So, yep, they should definitely pass that person on to whoever the expert is. All right. Now you mentioned you have a lot of uh, clients in healthcare. What other yeah. area of focus or tell me more about the healthcare focus? Yeah. So, well, the question is, what is your area of focus? And that is a great question for anyone to ask an advisor, because again, I want to make sure that that advisor is well-versed in what I need. And going back to what you said with the healthcare analogy, you, you would not go to a heart surgeon to operate on your knee. You just wouldn't do it. So it's, if somebody specializes, for example, in working, they work 100% with Kodak retirees. That's obviously local to Rochester, but you work at Rochester Regional Healthcare. They may not know the ins and outs of the benefits. So you just want to make sure that you are working with somebody that has helped other, in that case, other healthcare professionals. If the advisor is focused on that area, they'll know the specifics of that certain pension or defined benefit plan and the retirement savings that's available, the 403B, 401k, deferred comp Roths, and, and even the benefits booklet of those organizations. And that, that is of great value to somebody looking for an advisor is if I can go meet with somebody, if I'm a client, I can go meet with somebody that knows the ins and outs of everything. And they've done it hundreds of times. They're going to be able to add value. And I feel very confident in that. And it, it doesn't apply just to healthcare, but I mean, Public, public school employees, um, Xerox, Kodak, RG&E is a local company, and there are advisors that specialize just in that. Okay. And then I suppose okay. going in, part of that is you ask your potential advisor, who is your ideal client? Definitely. And they should be able to answer that very clearly. And this is just my experience in being 
in the management role in the past was a newer, I say this, but a newer advisor may not be so confident in their answer. And many experienced advisors aren't confident in their answer. And I, I guess I can give you two, two examples. If you were to ask me this question, Patrice, I want you to seriously tell me which answer is better. So if you said, who is your ideal client? And I said, well, I'll really work with anyone that needs help doing financial planning. I don't have any fund minimums. And as long as they need help, I can, I can most likely work with them. Or what I typically say is first and foremost, we work with people that we love meeting with, talking and helping. Our ideal client is a healthcare professional at Rochester Regional that needs help planning using their defined benefit plan or pension. They want to pay less in taxes and make sure that their 403B or 401K is in the right place. They want everything in one place, organized for them, and they want up-to-date information because they are busy people. Since the merger, we have helped hundreds of great people at Rochester Regional feel confident in their retirement so that they can look forward to the future with anticipation rather than apprehension. That is a much better answer in my opinion. Maybe it's too much. I don't know. <laughs> no, no. The you get the point. One, the first one is totally vanilla. No, no insight, okay. nothing. The second mm -hmm. one, oh, you get all little sprinkles on top. You got a cherry and you got uh, everything. So, yeah. And yep. I just use Rochester Regional Healthcare off the top of my head as an example, by the way. It could be apply again to public right. schools, Xerox, RG&E, whatever it is. The, the advisor that you are asking should be able to whip that off just like I just did. Mm -hmm. All right. Then they so. definitely know where their, their focus is. Yep. Yep. All right. So you go in, you're sitting down, you're talking like this. And, and then this one kind of surprised me. You ask the advisor... What companies do you represent and do you have an incentive to recommend one over the other? Are they really going to tell you this? No, yeah, <laughs> right. it is your job to figure that out. And I, let me, I could go on this one for an hour, mm. but let me just, the easiest way to spot this is, and I mean, I, I'm not trying to blow in new financial advisors, but if somebody's trying to meet with you and they're trying to get you to do something on the first meeting, that's not a good sign. They should always meet with you. You should feel comfortable with them. They should feel comfortable with you. You should think about it and get back together and go over actual recommendations. So if an advisor, so, so I'm not using a company name. I don't think this is a company at least. If they, if they work at Florida Life Insurance and their recommendation is to buy a Florida Life Insurance policy and a Florida Life annuity and maybe put some money into a quote managed account. At Florida Life. At Florida Life, they, they most likely have an incentive to do that. And I could give you another analogy right now is if, and I'll use the, the healthcare thing again, if, if a doctor is going to prescribe one of two medications for you, this, this will make sense. Medication one is definitely the right thing to do for you, no doubt about it, but the doctor is compensated more if they prescribe medication two. Medication two is okay for you and could work, but it's not the absolute best. Mm -hmm. Which one does the doctor prescribe? Well, doctors will do the right thing. But unfortunately, in our world, many advisors would do medication number two. It's okay for you and they'll get paid more. So typically you see this in newer insurance company advisors because they have to keep their benefits or they have to, they'll win trips or stock bonuses. And that's just what they have to do to get those things. So you want to make sure that your advisor has your best interest at heart. They are very open about the, how they are compensated and they have no hidden incentives at all. And this is why, Patrice, many advisors are going to the independent world because it will eliminate many of those conflicts of interest. So this, this will get somebody's attention right here because this is real. If I begin to work with a client that has $500,000 in an account that they want us to manage and plan with, 
I could put it into an account. So $500,000, that is very common, very typical retirement account. If I move it to a account A, which we'll call as a, back to our analogy, medication two, where I get paid more, mm -hmm. I would literally, I could get paid $35,000 up front on one account. Hmm. Or potentially, and most of the time, it makes more sense not to do that. I might get paid $300 a month starting three months from now. So what, which one will most advisors pick, especially if they're trying to survive and go through, they're going to take the $35,000 up front. But let me tell you, if your advisor doesn't answer that question clearly, like you said, will they tell you? No, but there is nothing wrong. And you kind of said this at the beginning with, with asking that and asking more. And I would seriously, if, if somebody came to my house or I went into somebody's office and my wife and I were sitting there with them, I would say, so you don't, get benefits or trips or stock options for doing this. I just, how exactly do you get paid? Which is actually another question here we'll get to. So. Well, let's tackle that one right now. Okay. How, how do advisors get paid and, and how can you push that question to get the answer? Well, what should happen just is they should have a fee schedule or, or so there's really three ways an advisor can get paid. It could be on commission which is like that $35,000 example. If you move $500,000, your advisor gets $35,000 one time. That's an extreme example, but that does happen. Um, the second way is maybe a subscription fee, which is kind of up and coming so that you just pay your advisor $400 a month and they do everything for you financially, which isn't a bad model. Um, it's like a, a, a maintenance fee. Yeah. Oh. Yep. And they're doing everything. And, and by the way, they need to add the value to, to make sure that that's worth it. So if we're charging a subscription fee for somebody, we need to show them at the end of the year, by the way, we've added $15,000 of value. You paid us $4,800 in that example. So that's not a bad model that eliminates a lot of that upfront conflict of interest. And then the third, which is probably the most common right now is the advisory assets under management. So quick example, if someone has a million dollars with us just for easy math and we're charging 1%, that is $10,000 a year in fees that that person will pay. And we better add that much value to their plan by the end of the year, or they can just take it and go somewhere else. And we would part ways as friends. But I like that model because if your million dollars turns into 2 million, the, the clients are very happy mm -hmm. because their, their money has grown. And the advisor is very happy because we get paid more money because they have more money. Now, right. if the million turns into 500,000, the client isn't happy and the advisor took a 50% pay cut. So I like it because it puts us on the same side. And really when you're working, what I would do if I were looking for an advisor, I would say, well, what do you offer? And then you have to think about which one you're most comfortable with. But to answer your question, when anybody comes in to see us, we have a fee schedule that we show them up front. If you have this much to this much money, it's 1%. This much to this much might be 0.8% and so forth. And, and we run through that. And any advisor that you're working with should be able to show you exactly what you're paying. Does a fee schedule like that run across the entire office? I mean, do you all get the same, the same type of situation? Yes. Okay. Yep. And I could get into like negotiating fees all day, but, and I used to do that, but I would say the fee schedule is the fee schedule because people want exceptions. And a lot of times it's out of our hands, by the way. So, but yeah, it, it does run across our team. Definitely. All right. We've talked about the process that you use in a previous podcast. Uh, so I recommend that people go back and listen.
But what is this process and how do you get that out of a, an advisor, potential advisor? So, yeah, if you say, what is, what is your process? They, any advisor should have a defined and written process that they can literally show you. And even better, they should email it to you ahead of time before you meet with them. And, and it should be multiple steps, by the way, again, going back to the, it shouldn't be, let's meet one time and s- sign paperwork. <laughs> right. It should be, let's get together. And, and we talked about this in our last podcast, so I'm not going to get into it too much, but let's get together, talk about what you want. Let's get to know each other, see if we would be a good fit for each other. And then there should be steps two, three, four, five, whatever the amount of steps are. But the point of it is to show you the path that you should take to work with that advisor. And any advisor should have that. It just shows professionalism and, and you're moving the client and the relationship in the right direction. So the point of that is really, do they have a process? And honestly, some advisors may be upset with me about this, but they better. If they don't have a process, it's like you've been doing this for 30 years and you don't have a process in place. I would really wonder, use the healthcare analogy for that. Imagine if the, the surgeon went in and didn't have a process for surgery. It, it would never happen. So you're saying that some advisors don't have a process? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know why? And I don't want to pick on the <laughs> many, many people think oh, go financial. Ahead. Go ahead. I know. I guess I can, I can pick on my colleagues a little bit. So if you think of a financial advisor, many times people think of them like driving their Mercedes to the country club and playing golf. Mm-hmm. That kind of fits in with <laughs> what I was going to say about it, the process, making a process and doing it actually takes work <laughs> and then following it even takes more work. So if the first step is just seeing, do they have a process and then can they walk you through it? And then most importantly, are you comfortable with it? And is it, does it work for you? And what happens if you decide to go with this individual and they, they start this quote unquote process and then they don't follow through? That, that happens. And I'll tell you, it happens both ways. It happens with the client not following through sometimes and an advisor and I'll get back to your question, but the, the advisor, if that happens on our end and a client or prospective client doesn't get back to us, we will follow up with them and just say, as part of our process, we should be here right now. We want to help you, but if this is not the right time, please let us know we're falling out of the timeline of our process. And we want to follow that to remain professional and, and on top of it. And, and most people do, but the advisor, if they drop the ball, I mean, I've seen it happen. Honestly, I'd move on. Why not? There are a lot of advisors out there that probably do what you're looking for. And don't consider it wasted time. You consider it learning time, I suppose, when you go to find somebody new. Yeah, if anything. I mean, the step one, step one is the hardest one. What it, <laughs> if people do a first meeting with a financial advisor, that is the hardest one. It's getting stuff together. You're mentally preparing for it. So if many times if a client comes in to work with us, they're, they're ready to go. They're bringing statements. They've they've been recommended to us, or they they've been on our website, or they've listened to the podcast, or they've read the white paper. We've sent them an intro video ahead of time. We've sent them a process. So we do all this stuff ahead of time. So right. when somebody comes in, they're ready. So if, I'll tell you what: if I drop the ball on step number two, our clients or prospective clients are fully prepared to just walk across the hall and potentially give it to another advisor, and they should. Yeah. This next question sounds kind of whiny, but I can kind of understand it. So how frequently am I supposed to hear from you? Who am I going to be working? Are you the only person I can talk to? Are you from New Jersey? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I tried to tone it down there a little bit. Well, you nailed it. This is not a whiny question. This is very important. And 
I'll pick on myself as a new advisor. When you are a new financial advisor, I would tell everybody you'll hear from me once a year. Now, what that means can be different things. And it could be, do you want an email once a year? Do you want me to text you? And, and by the way, as you're growing as a financial advisor and you tell every single person and you meet with a thousand people, you're going to hear from them once a year. Let me tell you, if there are new advisors that are listening to this, don't say that because it is impossible. I've done it. <laughs> um, even if you have an automatic email thing. So how often can I expect to hear from you? Any advisor should be able to tell you exactly when you will hear from them. And it goes back to being part of the process. And by the way, Patrice, the process, I keep saying that it sounds like it's dry and boring and it's very uh, tight. And, and But the, the truth is the process and staying disciplined actually allows it to be more fun and flexible, if that makes sense. We say it's organic. Yeah. Yeah. So organic. So if I, if Patrice, if you were my client, I would say, Patrice, you will hear from me or my team every single May and every single November for meetings. We will meet in person once, virtually once. Obviously, this year is, we're in 2020, is very different, <laughs> mostly right. virtually. Um, but you will hear, from, we will get together in May. We will get together in November. You will get a monthly video from us. You will hear from me periodically with any updates that we find that are important to you, but minimally you are going to get a video from me personally on a monthly basis and we will meet twice a year. Has technology gone a long way to helping you meet these, these um, interactions? When you say, you say you started oh, yeah. out by saying once a year, you'll hear from me. Well, now you're yeah. talking about you and your team and videos and, and all this. Tell me how the technology's helped. Well, without it, this stuff would be impossible. Seriously. Uh, the, when I started in 2003, we like just got email at our office. <laughs> so um, since then, I mean, I can now send a video to a client in about 30 seconds, just saying, I'm thinking about them. I just saw this. You asked me about this last week. That, that did not exist from our cell phones, by the way. So we've gone from 2003 to now with smartphones and technology, podcasting, by the way, writing white papers. And then, by the way, building a team. So when you're a brand new advisor, you can say you're part of a team. But let me tell you, and, and they know this, you're all working separately to build a business. A real team, when I say you, and by the way, will, will you be the only person working with me as a second half of that question? Typically, the advisor is the lead on the relationship, meaning if I work with a client, I am working with them. But they may hear from Chris, who we talked about in the first episode. He's like my back office person. Right. Or they may hear from one of our other advisors. If if Marshall is in the area or John is out seeing somebody, I might say, hey, John is stopping out or stop in to see John. He handles this for us. And this goes back to the question that you had about expertise. If somebody came in for RG&E help with their pension and 401k, I would introduce them to John. I would not, because he, he knows that stuff inside and out. That's just one example. But yeah, technology, without technology, this stuff would be impossible. That's awesome. Yep. All right, David, is there something we did not cover here that you still want to make sure we do? No, I think one final note, since this is the theme of this, and I think it's really important. If, if I were looking for an advisor, and you just said this, especially with technology, I would want someone that does two things. I would want somebody that is try, is educating me and is teaching me while they keep their current clients happy again, by following systems in a process and educating is important rather than selling to me. Nobody wants a financial advisor 
they don't want to come into an office or meet virtually or meet at their home or at Dunkin' Donuts, whatever it is, and just be sold a life insurance policy to. Right. Nobody wants that. They, I would not want to be sold to in any way. And I, I can't stand that. Um, you think of the old car dealerships as an example. It was just the worst. You drive through and someone's running out to flag you down. I don't want that in a financial advisory relationship. So I would want to hear what advisors have to say and then choose them based on if I'm getting value from them. And that's actually the exact reason we are doing this podcast. It's to do things like we're doing today and teach people what to ask. And honestly, I could do a podcast every single day and never run out of things to talk about with what we do. And that's just from experience and trying to think like a prospective client. And that's what I would want from an advisor. So last thing is, the second thing I'd be looking for is to make sure your advisor is coming up with their own material. And many advisors, again, I'm picking on some of my colleagues, but they'll take the easy <laughs> way out and they'll buy like a thousand articles that are ghostwritten by somebody and they'll post it on their website like they wrote it. And did they really have those thoughts for themselves? Are they truly experts? I would want somebody who's consistently looking for better and updated ways to educate me, my family. And again, like the research papers or videos or the podcast and still try to keep it fun and easy to consume on their time because in everybody's words, busy. In other words, read whatever somebody has posted, whatever someone has posted. And then when you go in to meet with them, quiz them on it. Yeah. My favorite, I'll leave, I'll, I'll stop here. But my favorite thing is when I see a post on LinkedIn and it's like, so-and-so had this post along with 16 other people because I'm connected to many people at different financial <laughs> firms. It's like, okay, so none of you actually came up with that. It was just canned content that they, I'm telling you, they didn't even read it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, now, dear listener, you know what to ask a financial professional. David, that was awesome. David Polsini of Six Point Financial. You can be alerted to all upcoming episodes of Dear Rochester, Retire Well, by subscribing with the subscribe button on this page. It's very simple. And to share, there is the share button. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to the Dear Rochester Retire Well podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Six Point Financial Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Content here is for illustrative and educational purposes only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of Six Point Financial Partners. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG advisory, private client services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Six Point Financial Partners or RFG advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. 
Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, Six Point Financial Partners, and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.